Well, good morning, Westgate. That was pretty good. Good morning, Westgate. So glad to see you here today. We have come here today, and we're uniting ourselves as the body of Christ. And uh, we're drawing near to God, and we want to seek His face with all that we have. Now, we can do this because we have hope in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's all stand together, and I want us to read the scripture off the walls, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. Let's all read it together. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Amen? Let's worship the God of hope.
yes, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Sing it with us, church. Lift your voice high and strong and praise our Savior.
Let's just have a moment of quiet prayer. God, our world still feels shattered, and that's because it is. We live in a broken and shattered world, but praise be to you, the only one who can restore us. As we come face to face with you this morning, we realize that we are on holy ground and we are not worthy to be here but you open your arms to us you open your arms wide and you have invited us into your embrace the embrace of love and forgiveness the embrace of mercy and grace May our hearts surrender to you as we come face to face with your sacrifice on the cross.
chorus again. Yes, sir. 
God, we praise you today. You are risen. You're alive forevermore. And we have hope in you. If we'll just turn to your embrace. May our hearts be seeking you out right now. And as your word is preached and proclaimed, may our hearts be transformed into what you want us to be. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. And the people of God said together, Amen. May be seen. Could you imagine having an accident on the turnpike that delayed you from getting to work and made you late? Your car wouldn't start, so you didn't get to work on time. You missed your bus. Telephone call put you behind. New shoes created a blister on your foot, so you had to stop at the drugstore, made you late for work. All of these inconveniences happened 21 years ago on 9-11 as people were making their way to their jobs at the World Trade Center, and because of these problems, their lives were spared. These little inconveniences, these adversities of life, sometimes can be to our advantage. And that's what James is talking about, even though they seem so frustrating to us at the time. This series covering the books of James and Jude will help us to see how these two brothers of Jesus had their lives radically transformed, how they came to resemble their older brother. And it'll also show us how God has called each of us to resemble Christ as well. James was one of the very first books, if not the first book of the New Testament, written. It has over 50 different imperatives in it, most of any in New Testament books. It's often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's written in short, pithy statements that remind us of the practical truth of what it means to follow after Christ, especially living in the throes of adversity. I guess you could say that James is a YouTube tutorial on how you can thrive in a fallen world. We're going to see through this book topics like God's sovereignty, perseverance, humility, prayer, wisdom, faith, brevity of life, wealth, poverty, language, prejudice, scripture, healing, and probably most important of all, repentance. Something that God has called all of us to do as we turn away from our sins on a regular basis. It starts with the initial turning away of our sin and asking Christ to forgive us, and then it continues on with a lifelong process of continually repenting from our sins so that we can follow Christ. You'll find that the book of James is a book that encourages us and it condemns us. It encourages us to live righteously and it condemns us to not be hypocritical. It would be called the transformed theology. Romans 12, 1 and 2 and 
Many people oftentimes think that James and Paul were kind of dueling banjos here in a different way. They had different ideas and, and they were kind of competing. But James being the first to be written and having such great influence on Paul, we find that he's writing a very practical expression of faith where Paul is writing from a very doctrinal standpoint based upon his background and the way that God would use him. So we see that here is a transformed brother who is calling for us to live transformed lives. If you weren't here last week, I hope you'll go back and maybe listen to some of the introduction, but one of the things I like best about uh, the thoughts of James and Paul was that, that James met Paul, and we find that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. They had this encounter together, very similar in the fact that both of them had resisted who Jesus Christ was, and so they had a commonality there. And we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great chapter on the resurrection, it talks about the fact that Jesus presented himself alive after the resurrection to James. And we can only imagine what that encounter must have been like. We, we take things so seriously, right? And we think that Jesus probably spoke very solemnly to him. But just for a moment, maybe we could be a little bit irreverent and think that Jesus came up to James in his risen state, and he says to his half-brother, this is why mom never had to put me in time out. <laughs> he was perfect in every way, and James' life was forever changed. And so he, as he writes this book, he is a transformed individual who is encouraging other people to be transformed by the same power in Jesus Christ. He would write in James chapter 1, beginning the, the second verse, consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. He starts right from the beginning, recognizing that life is filled with problems. Problems reside in our past, in our present, and in our future. Someone has explained it this way. Everyone has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem. Problems are all around us. And what James is talking about is any difficulty that Christians will face in this fallen world. And he says, consider it all joy. Strange context there. How could we face adversity and find joy in the midst of that? But he uses an intensive there. He says it's an intense joy that you can experience. Paul would dovetail on that in Romans 8.28. Why? Because he's saying that when you experience adversity in your life, trials of any kind, many kinds, God is able to turn that, and like a diamond in the rough, he is being able to shape it into a beautiful jewel. There is great purpose, it says in verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. I remember being an athlete in high school, and that's about how long ago it's been since I was an athlete. And we would run sprints at the end of every practice, sometimes towards the beginning, just to warm up. We would run sprints, and if you were an athlete, you know, everybody hates sprints. But as we would run sprints, we were too dumb to realize that the coach knew that if we didn't run sprints, we wouldn't win games. But he knew that if we did run sprints, we would be able to focus on the game and not on our fatigue. When we're running sprints, when we're facing trials in life, it's like sprints. God is conditioning us so that we don't just focus on the problem at hand, but what God is accomplishing through the problem. 
Last week, you remember we used the word artesian to describe that kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that, that doesn't have to be pumped out of us. It doesn't have to be forced out of us. An artesian well is one that takes, requires little to no pumping at all, and it just flows out of us. In John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus said, If you believe in Christ, out of you will flow, not be pumped, but out of you will flow waters, living waters from within. Johnny Erickson Tata gives us a great example of this. She'll be 73 next month. She's lived in a wheelchair for 55 years as a quadriplegic. And she has said, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes the adversity that we face in our lives are the ones that help us to experience what God wants most in our lives, and that's for us to be like Christ. But how do you talk like that, like Johnny Erickson Tata? How do you respond to trials like James is advocating here? It requires wisdom. And that's why just five verses into his book, I mean, he hits it quick. He says, you're going to have all these kinds of problems in your life. None of us would contest that. And he says, you are to experience joy in there because God has purpose of using those trials to make you more like Jesus Christ. But how do you have that kind of perspective? It's found in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Wisdom for tough times. We all need that. We're not naturally going to respond with joy to say, okay, God, what is it you're trying to do in my life through this adversity? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, James says. Going back to the, probably the first book written in the Old Testament, Job 28, 28. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. In Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the exact same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In today's reading, if you're reading through the Bible, through the, the yearly Bible reading calendar, 1 Kings chapter 3, it talks about Solomon. And Solomon not knowing how in the world he is going to respond to the leadership of this great country that his, his dad had just led. He didn't have any idea what he's going to do. And he says, God, would you give me wisdom would you give me a discerning heart in that same chapter first Kings chapter 3 it's demonstrated his wisdom is demonstrated by this judgment that he makes with two women who are prostitutes they come and one has lost her baby and she tries to switch babies and, and Solomon exercises incredible wisdom to discern how you figure out whose child this baby belongs to it's a beautiful picture of the sanctity of life you know, it's widely purported to be called a Chinese curse, but there's no real validation to be found in research of this very popular phrase, may you live in interesting times. The premise is that easy times are not very interesting, but tough times, they're definitely interesting. So the curse is, may you live in interesting times, may your life be challenging. Why? Because we long for the path of least resistance in our lives. But adversity can make life more interesting, and it can make us more interesting. It can refine us to be more like Christ. When James is writing uh, to these, these Christians that are scattered throughout, this is called a general epistle. It's not written to a specific church. It's written to Christians that have been scattered, and probably what has happened is the persecution breaking out in the church of Jerusalem. They've scattered to the ends of the earth, and James is writing to all of these that have left Jerusalem. He used to be their pastor. And many of them were destitute because they were Jewish Christians. They had two strikes against them in the Roman Empire. 
So many of them, if not most of them, were destitute. They were experiencing economic adversity. Some of you know that right now. You know what it is to not know how ends are going to meet. You don't know what your future is going to look like. You don't know how you're going to pay the medical bills. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you have situations in your family that seem as if they're unredeemable. They can't be solved. They're problems that will not be resolved. You're just going to have to manage the tension of the problem that is there. Some of you are facing health situations. You know how you're going to get through this situation. Is God going to prove faithful in the midst of this? Some of you are facing adversity at work. You can't get along with people that you work with, yet you cannot leave your job. And here's James saying, in the midst of all of that, you can experience victory. You can overcome the situations that you face. I uh, wanted to say that Stephen did a great job Wednesday night. I was able to get up there uh, to listen to him teach to our youth. And he used the concept of justification, sanctification, glorification. We've talked about that. And Stephen, by the way, where are you? And your mom is here. We're so delighted to have you with us here today, Tammy. And uh, he's doing a great job. We're so proud of him. And you, I know you are as well. He was talking about justification, sanctification, and glorification, which we've talked about many times here, that the, the justification is when God redeems us and he makes us right, and all of our sins are forgiven. But then there's a sanctifying process, and that's the time here on this planet in which God is refining us and he's making us into the image of Christ, and that's the part that James is talking about here. And then there's going to be the glorification in which we are made perfect in the presence of God. So we have justification, sanctification and glorification but what we oftentimes want is vacation where does that fit in there where life is a little bit easier wouldn't it be nice if we had justification vacation and then glorification and we get frustrated about that and we wonder why this doesn't happen and part of sanctification is called cooperative sanctification which we are working with Christ in the process, not resisting what he's trying to do. But James knew full well that many times through trials and tribulations of life, we do resist what God is trying to do in our lives. This whole idea of justification, sanctification means that we are changed and we are changing. And James is going to say throughout this book that change should be evident in our lives. Our neighbors should be able to see it. Our families should be able to see it. Certainly our kids should be able to see it in our lives. If we have grandkids, grandkids as well. The people that we work with, the people that we associate with. Are we still handling adversity like we did last year or 10 years ago? I remember a little kid in junior high working on his Yamaha Mini Enduro out in the garage. And he couldn't get the thing fixed. And he was so frustrated that he took his tool and he threw it down. That would be your pastor. Now, I'm hopeful that adversity isn't responded the same way as I did when I was in junior high. And I hope it's not for you either. And I hope that you respond to trials, all of us do, better than we did last year, better than we did last week. Because we're allowing Jesus Christ to refine us. See, our, our tendency is is to ask why, why, why aren't things... ...happens to other people, why is that happening to you? But when it happens to us, why is this happening to me? We really want an answer, but you know, 
life isn't normal. I saw a t-shirt here a couple weeks ago, and it said, normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. It's a good idea. Remember, that's what James is saying. Normal isn't coming back, folks. And Jesus is, so what are we going to do about it? When we ask why, we're not usually wanting an answer. We're just looking for the quickest exit out of the trouble. James recognizes that. He knows that. He's persecuted, as we talked about last week. He's going to get tossed off the, the pinnacle of the temple because of his beliefs. He knows about persecution. He knows that we all want green lights. But what if our why took on a deeper meaning? What if we ask why with a desire to know what God wanted to do in our lives through this problem? That'd be a different perspective, wouldn't it? What if we said something like this? I wonder if that difficult situation is God's way of growing me in patience. Could that irritation be there because God's wanting me to be less less self-absorbed? That challenging person might be God's tool for creating more kindness in me. While working on this message early in the week, I was standing at the bank. I haven't been to a bank in years. I was amazed. I, I, just, I needed some cash in different denominations, and I know you're going to tell me to, to use those ATM machines. I don't want to do it. So I walked into the bank for the first time in about three years, and I was impressed that it was open, and I was impressed that there was no line. There was only one lady standing in front of me. But there might have been a line of 20 people because she just continued to talk about her life's experiences to the teller. And I thought about, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. I just, I sat there and I listened to her. And then the lady, they, they probably thought something weird was about ready to happen because I'm sitting there with my, my wad of money and then I just start smiling. Consider it all joy. God was using that experience to remind me. Sometimes we focus so much on the now, the things now, the things that we want, and we, we take our eyes off the eternal value of things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul was writing about adversity in his life. And he said, this, this thorn, this thorn that I prayed to go away, this trouble, this trial, it's in my life, this adversity, I prayed for it and it won't go away, and I've discovered why. Because God is using it to keep me humble. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect through weakness. See, those kinds of questions that we're talking about, they require wisdom. And that's why, Paul, uh, why, why James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he gives generously to all without reproach. That means to not be demeaning. He doesn't say, yeah, I'll give you some wisdom, but you remember what you did with that wisdom last time? I bet you won't do any better this time. But it says that he gives lavishly, generously, without anything being held back. That's why he says, knowing that God is going to give it to you like that, ask in faith, not doubting, not being like one who's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person mustn't suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord because they are a double-minded, unstable person in all their ways. It's a picture of choppy water. It's It's the same word that is used when it talks about the storm on the Sea of Galilee when the disciples are wondering if Jesus understands that their boat is about to sink. It's not the crashing of waves coming in because you think, well, the consistency of the waves coming in and crashing is a beautiful picture. But it's a picture of the water just going up and down in which the boat is just being rocked in every direction. 
It's the idea of leaning into God one way and then a moment later turning in a completely different way, almost instantaneously. Being a pastor long enough, you, you see people deal with that. Something happens in their life, and the first thing is, let's call the church, get everybody to pray, make sure I'm on the prayer list, and there's nothing wrong with that. I understand that. But once the crisis passes, I'm not so interested in praying anymore. Or, once the crisis passes, not so interested in praying for other people. I've had people say, come and come and come and pray for me. And then we move on to something else. That's the type of person that is talking about. Self-absorbed, only living for the moment for my situation. The contrast here is that God will respond in a way that is beautiful. Think about Jeremiah 33, 3. And if you're reading through the Bible, you're thinking, well, that should be coming up next week, but it'll be a month from now. Why? Because Jeremiah is kind of scattered and confusing. If you're reading through the Bible in Jeremiah 33:3, it says, call to me, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. We think, oh, I want insight and wisdom. I want to know what's happening in the future, how things are going to play out. But what is the great thing? A deeper understanding of God. That's what God is communicating to Jeremiah and to us. It's the wisdom to know how to handle adversity and to repent from our carnal resistance to what God might want to do in our lives. It's a call for us to lean harder into God. We have sung many times, and you've heard the story about Come Thou Fount, written by Robert Robinson when he was 23 years of age. In that third verse, we have these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And Warren has taught to us about this song. Uniquely, that became characteristic of his life in the latter years. He did wander from the Lord. He was on a stagecoach many, many years ago. And a lady across from him was humming that tune. Then they struck up a conversation and she asked what he thought about that hymn. And he responded, overcome with emotion, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. We're all prone to wander to wander away from our faith and our confidence and our trust in God in the midst of our adversity. But if we will do as James talks about here, adversity handled wisely leads to victorious living, something that we all want, right? James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man, and again, you're going to see these parallels of James referring to the teaching of Jesus over and over and over throughout the book, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And he uses that same word, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It means God's favor. It means we will be blessed to live life as God intended if we submit and subject ourselves to what God wants to do in our lives. To not be a fair-weather fan of God, but to be an enduring saint. That's revealed by the way that we live. Notice what he says. Those who remain steadfast under trial, those who stand the test, at the end of life, they will receive the crown of life, which is promised to those who love him, those who have a relationship with him, 
talking about the perseverance of the saints. I'm fearful that so many people believe that everything is okay between them and God. I'm okay with a man upstairs. I hear that so many times, and when I hear it, please don't tell me that. Because when I hear that, I'm thinking, I don't think you're okay with the man upstairs because he is not the man upstairs. He is a God Almighty. And we are separated because of our sinfulness, forever separated except through Christ. So when we think about this passage of Scripture, it's talking about someone that yields themselves completely, surrendering their lives to Christ throughout all that comes their way. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's a parallel from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. It is trusting God in the midst of our most difficult times of life that God can redeem this. We may not see it at the time. I love that, that story that comes from basic training in the military. I don't know if they still do it, but many years ago, they would have the new recruits as they walked through the cafeteria. They would be forced to, wear, to, to carry the cafeteria trays in a certain way. And the new recruits would, would, would resist against that. Why do we have to carry, I mean, we're, we're just managing everything about our lives. Why do we have to carry our trays a certain way? I want to carry it this way only to discover that they are being trained as the way they hold their cafeteria trays is the same way that they will hold their weapons in battle. Being trained when they didn't realize they were. And God doing the same thing in our lives, wanting to shape us even when we don't feel his work. Friends, we don't have to be perfect in this. That's the good news. God wants us to be submissive to him, but we don't have to be perfect. That's the goal. You think back to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Jesus is dealing with a man whose son is is demon-possessed, laying on the ground dead. And Jesus asked, I mean, the the, the man asked, if you can do something. Jesus says, if I can. Everything with me is possible. There's nothing above my pay grade. And then the man says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Friends, I know some of you are out there right now. And that might be your prayer. Lord, I'm trying to believe. Please help my unbelief. Trust him in the midst of it. Do you believe? Some of us here, maybe online, you've never trusted your life to Christ. You've never come to the realization that God really does love you. And he's created you specifically to have a relationship with him. But because of our sinfulness, we are separated from God. And only Christ can make us right with him. And so it's not just a quick flippant prayer. It is a total surrender of our lives, humbly repenting, meaning turning away from our sins, not living like a choppy wave in the water, but saying, God, I am all in for you, and I will follow hard after you the rest of my life. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I hope that you will take a moment to join me in this prayer and begin the process of living in relationship with Christ. For some of you, My my heart is heavy just to know that the adversity that some of you are facing even now. I know you're in the midst of trials. And I know that messages like this can be so difficult. And I'm just going to ask you in a moment, when our deacons stand up and are standing at the back of the aisles, use your church, use your church. Go back and allow these deacons and their wife to pray over you. That God would help you in the midst of your trials. Don't run it alone. Christianity is a team sport utilize the prayers and support and the encouragement of those around you. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, 
I pray that you would join me in a prayer like this. And all of us as believers, would you be praying that if someone here has never received Christ, that this would be the moment. And as you hear this prayer, and if you've heard this gospel presentation, might we ask the question ourselves as Christians, when's the last time I shared that with someone? When's the last time I helped someone pray that prayer and begin a relationship with Christ? So let's pray together and ask God to work in our lives as he desires. Lord, we, we recognize your word is so powerful beyond anything that we could ever imagine. That you can shape us no matter what happens. There is nothing that is impossible for you. Even in our unbelief, you can help us to see the value of trials and tribulations, adversity in our life. Help us to not just get fixated on the pain. God, may we see the work of you in the midst of that. As if we are the clay on the potter's wheel and you are shaping us to be everything that you want us to be. I pray for my friends now that are just suffering adversity, some with great uncertainty, some with sadness, some with heaviness. God, that you would minister to them, that they would know what it really is to have that joy flowing out from them because of their relationship and their dependence upon you, even in the midst of the struggles that they face. Lord, we know that none of this is possible. This whole book was written only for Christians. None of it's possible without a relationship to you. And that if anybody in this room or listening online doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, this would be the day they would recognize their desperate need for you and pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, may that be the posture of us all, that we would be fully surrendered to you, willing to follow as hard as we can after you every day of our lives. Because we know one day, because we've been justified and been through the process of being sanctified, we will experience glorification, which truly is the ultimate vacation. Thank you, Lord. Christ, and we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like there's something that you would like to have a continuing conversation with someone about relationship to Christ, joining the church, baptism, someone to just pray over you, our deacons of the month will just now move back to the back of the aisles in each one of these aisles, back towards the doors, and you go and pray with them. I'll be standing by the cross. You can also meet us at the Connection Center after the service. So let's stand together and let's respond to our, our time of worship today. a place where sin and shame
And you may be seated. And as you're being seated, children who are involved with children's choir, you can go ahead and make your way out. Just follow Miss Michelle right there. You're going to head over to the choir room and continue work on your Christmas program. And the rest of us, we're going to hang out here for a business meeting. Okay, we're here for the business meeting. Does everybody have an agenda? <laughs> yeah. Does everybody have uh, need a copy of the uh, the agenda? You don't have one. Yeah. Well, we're passing those out. Uh, a copy of the minutes are available if anybody wants to uh, look at them. Otherwise, we'll just have a motion to approve the minutes. Got a motion there. <laughs> anybody second? <laughs> anybody opposed? Okay. Uh, church membership request. Uh, the first by letter, da uh, David and Jackie Cross from First Baptist of Lumberton. Stephen and Alex Henry from Wedgwood Baptist uh, Church in Fort Worth, and, and Larry and Lisa Glasson from Trout 